It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Something that you don't see in the news a lot this morning, but it's important to me personally, important to many of you out there, and certainly uh, to the conservative movement and uh, a cry for honesty and discussion and more voices not less today is the 10th anniversary of the loss of andrew breitbart not just to his family to those of us who are his friends uh, but to the nation And, and i would go further and say as a symbol to the world of what happens when you step out and take on something bigger than yourself because you believe in principles it's a tough day for many, but it's also a day to, to remember, to honor, remember, to laugh, to maybe shed a tear, raise a glass in whatever way possible. Alex Marlowe took the reins of Breitbart News and certainly has done an amazing job with the organization here on Sirius XM every morning at, wow, 6 a.m., which means he's up a lot earlier, and I often wonder, having done that, and I don't remember those days, but I do remember getting up early, Alex, how you how you manage to keep things going and do such a great job, my friend. Good to have you here this morning. I know it's a bit of a switch for us, you to me and me to you. No, I love it. I actually love the handoff, and I would be, uh, for just a slight bump in salary, I would be willing to talk about doing this every day, because I actually like that model for shows. Uh, And uh, thanks so much for the wonderful intro, David. And especially, before I answer your question, thank you for participating in the epic tribute to Andrew Breitbart we have on the front page of Breitbart.com right now. Uh, There are dozens, I think close to about 60 tributes, and David's is one of the most moving. Uh, I'm in there, but pretty much a who's who of the conservative movement at this time. Just about everyone came out of the woodwork to pay respect to uh, the master, Andrew Breitbart, who was my boss and mentor. And, uh, you know, it's interesting the way you frame it as uh, a, uh, I took the reins. It just, who could take the reins from Andrew? And it's one of these things where I think about this all the time uh, because it's impossible to live up to the standard he set, the bar he set. But I also love that too. It's aspirational because who could be as effective as Andrew, as fun as Andrew, as efficient as Andrew? No one could. And that's the kind of the standard set for all of us who walk in his footsteps, as I do and as you do as well. Uh, But your comment about waking up early, David, the key to that is easy, just napping. I I just got to nap during the day. And then it's not that hard. Just once you nap, you, you get it down. Yeah, see, that's the thing I never mastered with a morning show, the going to bed early or the napping. <laughs> so hence my yeah, failure that's to want to do that again. There's but, there's nothing more to it than that. Is it the, the nap is as you just have to do it every time, standard, shut it down. And if anyone needs you, they need to get back because you're a morning radio host, David. I mean, that, that's the type of power that you have is to declare that it is nap time in the middle of the day. <laughs> there you go. You know, I, I know you, and of course the videos on the front page, and I want people to see it and, you know, get get a feel for Andrew, remind themselves of what he stood for through all those years. I mean, we could literally spend three hours telling various 
anecdotes, stories, memories. But it, you know, it would be wrong of me not to also acknowledge the team that put this together at Breitbart, and and of course our minister of culture, uh, who Andrew John Conn and I, we were we were notorious at times uh, for our antics and activities, but. Uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, uh, watching this and the opening, just the opening part with Andrew on C-SPAN, talking about his evolution, and then Clarence Thomas, and all the people throughout this, Robert Davi, you know, people that really interacted, not just from the public, but the more private uh, relationship, you know, both aspects. I, I just see someone who's so reflective and always was of, what most i believe most americans want you know we we're we're a fair nation we're one that wants more as i said more voices not less uh one of andrew's core beliefs and also that there are bad people out there that want to destroy uh what we continue to evolve into every day which is a better nation a better culture and at times, ordinary, as they say, ordinary, I think anyone can be extraordinary, Alex, but ordinary people can step out and do extraordinary things. Uh, this is such a crucial part of Andrew's legacy and is one that I think might be missed a little bit in when people think about his humor, his jocularity, his righteous indignation, his incredible ability to be a talent scout. Uh, his eye for news. I mean, all that stuff kind of gets top billing and, and, and rightfully so. But it is just so surreal to think about how much he accomplished in, you know, what hopefully for everyone in the audience is half a lifetime. I mean, 43 years. And he just accomplished so much. He's such a giant considering such a limited amount of time. And that should be so inspiring that you can really make so much of your life. You can have a consequential life if you only commit yourself to your values and you're willing to do what's necessary. And uh, sometimes this involves using tactics or using angles or using uh, narratives, using skills that other people think are crazy or weird or ahead of their time or behind their time. Whatever it is, Andrew would do what was necessary to get attention to the issues that he wanted to get attention to. And some of them, David, you work with him directly on. Uh, you brought up the, uh, the, the the Pigford store with the black farmers, uh, which we're still revisiting now. We had a story on it yesterday at the front page of Breitbart. I, I mean, I don't mean to hijack your show, but I would love to hear about your connection with Andrew over that story. Well, that story still continues today. As a matter of fact, I spoke with Eddie Slaughter, and I have through the years, uh, but I spoke with him just yesterday. Here's an example of what we stood for and all fought for, was that there are people who deserved the, the legal recourse. They deserve to be... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here. They deserve justice. That's the word I'm looking for. And in Pickford v. Glickman, a lawsuit against the USDA, uh, there were black farmers who were discriminated against all across this country in multiple states. And they were never, they were never fully compensated, most of them, as a result of the lawsuit and a decision that proved that they were being discriminated against by the Department of Agriculture. To this day, they've never been fully 
given their due. They've never received their justice. And they've finally woken up more so they have over the years. During the Obama years, it was used as a buyout for black votes with the attempted to farm the potted plant. You can look up the stories of Andrew and Lee Stranahan and myself and others. Of farming Jake a potted plant. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's just amazing. It is. But, but it's been abused. And Eddie Slaughter said something to me straight out. He said, how is it that a group of black farmers in this country can win a lawsuit and be given justice on the bench, but never receive the justice in the form of payment that they deserve for being discriminated against for loan, loans that were not allowed to be taken out for farmers that control over a million acres of land across multiple states, I believe, total of 13 states, somewhere between 11 and 13 states. And the Obama-Biden administration did nothing. Nothing in subsequent administrations, and yet it was during the Trump years when Sonny Perdue stepped in, and some of the farmers got some form of justice. Back to Biden and the American Rescue Act, and with this buyout, which is what I call it, for votes in the Warnock election in Georgia, what happens? Another $1.2 billion, and yet the farmers have received nothing from that. At the same time, the fraud that goes on, and as Eddie said, they buy our leaders. There are blacks out there that that ran around the country for years, and Andrew and I exposed this with Lee Stranahan's help on video, in meetings, literally teaching people how to commit fraud and collect a $50,000 check attempted to farm potted plant if you had a potted plant you can say you attempted to farm you would think this was ridiculous until you saw the video until you saw the evidence and realized that there's been a giant fraud committed against blacks and they've had it with this biden administration and with previous administrations one thing that andrew did and this is a clear example of this david is that he would sometimes tell the entire news world of all the executives and all of the uh, multinational conglomerates and all the eagle-eyed bloggers and talk show hosts that we're all in the wrong story and we need to be on this one and this is the right story and his batting average might not have been a thousand on these but it was very high where he would identify something that was uh, either said something broader about the culture or, or something that really was simply just the biggest thing on the planet and we'd all missed it and this is one of those examples the the the, the pigford story which I, I don't think if you had given me you know uh, if you give me 10 years i would have said that this is the big story to focus on. And yet for a moment in time, he got the whole world on the story, or at least the whole conservative media, to focus on this thing and to understand what it represents about corruption and abuse of power. And it is a, it just a fascinating microcosm into Andrew's thinking. Well, it's, it's what Andrew also believed in strongly, that you didn't just fight for the big stories, but for the person who went unnoticed. And this is pretty much what happened with the black farmers. And now the group calls that calls themselves the African-American Agriculturist Association, whether it's 50 acres, 100 acres, or in the case of one farmer in Arkansas, 800 acres, they were they were discriminated clearly, but they were unknown because they didn't matter until they could be used by the Democrats and they could be used by James Clyburn uh, for the votes. They could be used by Barack Obama or in the latest iteration, uh, Raphael Warnock and Joe Biden. 
But they would go unnoticed, if not for Andrew and, and what we did to bring this story out when he insisted that we fight for them. And it wasn't based on color. It was based on injustice. It was based on the fact that these families, these are people who, you know, worked hard to farm and grow crop and products, do what many others do in this country, but they were being treated as non-existent. And that that was just and still is fundamentally wrong. I mean, what you see now, Alex, the press release put out the other day, I made a promise as Andrew and we all did when this case was being worked that we would never give up. And now a decade later, uh, and again, you know, with them still not being uh, given their justice, we're going to bring this out again that, you know, we're, we're given our time. We're working together because we can't let them just go unnoticed and in some cases get older and just die. Yeah, and this is, I think, something that the Andrews passing reminds us of, uh, the, the, the fleeting nature of life and what we have. And I think that his lessons, I think, so long as we can enact them, I think they can live on and his legacy can live on. I think we've we've honored that at Breitbart. We've honored it at Patriot. But there's always more. There's always more that can be done. And that's part of why I talk about that high bar that he set, because uh, he does make you think there's always more you can do to try to get the the right stories into people's brains. And, and, and David, do you have any other favorite stories? I mean, could I could, again to hijack your show again? Because I, I want to hear from you because I've been uh, just really enjoying catching up with people uh, about Andrew specifically and the effect they had on their lives. Because so many people who I know and love uh, were affected by Andrew in ways I wasn't even aware of. Yeah, there's there's too many. I mean, I know in that video, I just spoke from the heart and I told some personal ones and they're hard to do on air. I'll, I'll be honest with you. They're hard to do on air. It's uh, it's an emotional thing, but there were, there were some funny ones. So I'll stick to the funny ones. And some of them you might recognize because, you know, in all of this, uh, you know, we were just a bunch of. Well, we were a bunch of guys having fun, too. You know, the happy warriors. And we found ways to sometimes step away from the fight for a moment. Uh, in, in the Breitbart Embassy, as you know, Alex, there's a lot of cubby holes and little hideaways, especially around the kitchen and the dining room area. And uh, our minister of culture, hopefully John's listening right now. He's probably not. He's on the West Coast. But our minister of culture and I and Andrew found ways to sneak away our favorite bottles and corners that during the Breitbart party, you know, when everybody noticeably from any side of the political spectrum would want to be invited and come, we could get to our favorites. There were the little times when we remembered that we were just people, just, you know, just guys. I tell a story in that video about the Anthony Weiner pictures and the, the night before it came out when Sean Hannity, Andrew and I sat there on set on his show and Sean, the biggest Boy Scout, didn't want to see it. But what do we do? We go out for a few beers after and there's Andrew when I walk away to go to the bathroom, showing it to my girlfriend at the time. Pictures of Anthony Weiner's Weiner. Now, you know, why? Because we were just at our core people. We could laugh, we could be ridiculous, and then we could step out on stage in Philadelphia on the green in a hundred degree heat. And there's, you know, Steve Bannon, Andrew, Charles Payne, Deneen Borelli, Jenks Morton, myself. I 
can't think of it. There were a few others that were out there. I can't remember all the names. Just to stand up and say the Tea Party's not racist. We're a group of concerned Americans and represented on that stage. We're not all right-wingers or conservatives, uh, independents. Some people lean in more left. But asking for something very basic, that we have a free society, one where we can debate and put the best ideas forward. So we ran the gamut, man. We, we you know, got in trouble occasionally and sometimes maybe we probably bored people with our stories but we were, we were just people who saw a common desire for more justice for more voices for all the things that even before we formed or kind of fell into this group together we'd already been looking into things back in the mid 90s acorn and others uh and so this was kind of a natural evolution of like-minded people I think that's a big thing, though, and then well, that's one thing that you and Andrew also had in common. Is you guys are both pretty social. I'm much less social, but that there's also a lot of I have a lot of admiration for people who do try to connect people and to connect with people, and it's something that in the digital age is lost in a major way. And I, I do feel like that's lamentable. I feel like that in the conservative movement that Andrew Breitbart would have wanted, I think there would have been a lot more. Uh, socializing and gathering and conferences and tea parties and things like that. And as we move to the digital age, getting away from that, I don't know if that's left us better off. It's left us, you know, faster paced, but I don't know if it's, if it swells a movement quite like the ability to gather. Well, it's, it's a human component. We, we need to socialize. We need to have interactions. You know, one interaction between any person and one other person can spread to what, 10 hundreds, who knows where it goes. And in those moments, there are so many people that have met Andrew for just a second, maybe walking through the crowd at CPAC. But that connection for that moment when you shook a hand or, you know, just talked, made eye contact, leaves an impression. And in the digital age, uh, it, plus then you add COVID and mask, and you're taking away a connection. That's part of how we function as a society. You know, and when we went out to crowded events, whether it was CPAC or somewhere else, or frankly, whether it was just in some innocuous pub or restaurant to you know, have a meal or whatever, there, there were moments when you made connections. And at times I would go down the street in New York, our biggest city or somewhere, and somebody would walk up to me or somebody in an airport. And I remember running into you and Andrew. Oh, yeah, wasn't it at Myrtle Beach? You know, they would, they would say things yeah, that's people right. never that's right. forget, and, uh-huh. and that's the legacies that human contact because you don't, you don't forget that moment. It's it's part of you for the rest of your life. Yeah, no, that is right. And those are formative moments and they only happen sometimes when you get out of your comfy confines and I get your hands dirty, which is something, again, another thing that Andrew was willing to do constantly. He was constantly able to uh, change tactics and he was constantly able to push himself and to push others. And that that was something that was also uh, he nothing was was beneath him also and I know that sounds kind of the, not necessarily how I intended to sound he he wasn't too good for anything he was populist in this way that he would get out there and get amongst the people and particularly those on the left and he would love to interact with them and he'd go to Occupy Wall Street and he would 
uh, interview people. And it, it was, I'm sure nowadays there'd be massive safety concerns, but he'd go to Code Pink rallies and he'd talk to them. And there's another thing that is just a, it's always so fascinating when it's done. And I think that we, we need to see more of this. Yeah, we do. And it's something, I mean, I know it sounds odd, but we actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to Occupy Wall Street. I enjoyed going to the leftist rallies. And, and I wish more people would. I'm not talking on social media and the occasional you know, video or something that someone puts up. Now we see lots more of them. But when you go there, you see people up close. And you actually, you know, when it comes to the leftists, you see almost a fear in their eyes like, what are you doing here? This is our space. Well, why are you afraid of us being here, finding out who you are? Conversely, when it came to the Tea Party, whether it was my group in New York, any of the other groups that we worked with, uh, it, it was just Americans who said, come on in, let's have a discussion. We don't need to riot. We don't need to paint cool signs with chalk on the ground, and we don't need to stomp on the American flag. You know, that, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a publicly visible symbol of weakness, Whereas we said, come on, ideas are stronger. And it was actually a lot of fun. I got to tell you, we, we enjoyed it <laughs> going into those, taking people on, you know, yeah. the videos of them going after Andrew. He didn't punch back. He didn't. Sh- he turned around and said, all right, let's go. Come on, let's have it. Let's hear it. Yeah, no, this is where he would go and he would mix it up uh, intellectually, I guess, is the best they can with left wingers. And then he would invite them to Applebee's and stuff for like afterwards. It's a, you know, I, I, I don't know if I uh, want to plug Applebee's necessarily, David. It's the, <laughs> well, but, just, but he just did, think of it as a husky it was just male there. model. <laughs> Remember that? that? That was his his career. He wanted to be a husky male model. It didn't work out. And that's what drove him to journalism. It's a, again, that's another blast from the past I hadn't thought of in years. But yes, that was Andrew's line that he only got into this because of his failed career as a husky yeah. male model. Well, you know, it worked out pretty well for him. Uh, by the way, speaking of husky and male me model, too. you know what I still have? I still have the Playboy that has Andrew Breitbart's article in it. Think about it. He was profiled in Playboy. The guy that the left wanted to destroy, the leftists wanted to destroy the now Antifa types, uh, who he exposed way back and, and you sit there and you laugh because I kept that edition anything that was unique and I didn't do it for any reason more than it was a way to read the, the so many opinions of Andrew and they actually got it right I'm going to give Playboy credit for that see this is another one that's unbelievable is that I had forgotten that too and it was right before he died and I remember Andrew being interviewed for it and I remember talking to him about it and then I hadn't thought of it I hadn't thought of it again since the, the probably since it came out and that's 10 years ago it's more than 10 years ago obviously uh, it, it's such a great this is what's been so fun for me David getting to talk to so many people about Andrew is you know I've forgotten more interesting stuff about Andrew than I'll know about the vast majority of other interesting people I meet. And I get to meet a lot of interesting people. It's just part of the uh, cool parts of our line of work. But it's just one thing after the next in the way that he would uh, walk towards the fires, his expression is that he wouldn't care about mixing it up with people who were not aligned ideology. And he had no hope of convincing them necessarily, but he just thought that it was the way progress was going to be made was to try to reach people where they are. Yeah. Look, the easiest way to stand up for freedom is to not be afraid of engaging others. Freedom means different opinions, adverse opinions, uh, but it's freedom. 
And that's what it is. So let me bring it back home to Sirius. You were asking sure, me about yeah. stories. And this kind of leads to where you are now. Uh, one day, Dave Gorab was probably listening. I don't know if he is, but he knows the story. Dave, Andrew, and I were in the conference room on the 36th floor. Actually, it was 37th floor. We were in the conference room. And Andrew and I got off into one of our music I don't know what what do you call it stream of consciousness yes and we were comparing we were talking music and bands and people we knew and all these things and the stream of consciousness just kept going I don't know how long and probably for for Dave quite a while that was the beginning of an old more uh, I guess interactive conversation about Breitbart and this idea of bringing Andrew onto Sirius, and then eventually, as you see, Steve Bannon took the reins, came on. Uh, then that leads to where we are today. So you know, there you never know where these moments lead, and that was post all the Wiener stuff. But we we were just we were just literally in a stream of consciousness. I don't even remember. I think we crossed about three different decades of music and, and entertainment because he and I had a similar background in both the music and entertainment world. He could riff on music as long as he could riff on anything else. I mean, it, it really was uh, his passion, and it was stunning to see that he would show up after a day of mixing it up politically. I, I would find that he'd end up on some sort of a podcast, you know, being a DJ where he would program new wave music, uh, and he would um, uh, he and then he would talk about bands for hours. He was a music journalist before he got into political journalism, and he was very opinionated about music, about music, which was fascinating because I'd not share his take on music. I would love music, but I wouldn't have the same take. But it was still fascinating to watch him to watch him. Uh, explain to people the nuances of his take and why they were wrong. And he sometimes would draw these connections between various artists for me, David, in the middle of the workday. And I'm trying to get stuff done for him on his behalf <laughs> and something important, like something that could change the world. And then he would interrupt me to explain how what some contemporary artist was just uh, copying one of his favorite artists from the eighties. And then I should have been paying attention to that. I was like, okay, I got it. And, and then he would break into a soliloquy about how horrible grunge is and how uh, he really hated um what the the darkness of it and it was too depressing for him and uh, these are compelling points andrew but i got a lot of work to do on your behalf and i need to get back to it <laughs> so you see some similarities between us then as what a little bit yeah a few things just a little bit <laughs> yeah you know what it, it's part of life you, you got to enjoy as much of it as you can you, you've got to what they say spread your wings and try something new and you'll find amazing things out there it's you know it, it's just it's just today and uh yeah it's just today i don't know how many of you out there remember or interacted with andrew i i guess i'll just you know with all the things we cover and you covered this morning because i listen to you while i'm at the gym and all the things we have to talk about alex like you i want to hear from people out there because we we can't we can never let the principles, even if people don't remember the name, maybe they don't quite associate it. We can never let those principles die. Amen to that. And uh, also, uh, if uh, Dave and, and Liz are listening, I would love to get a slot one day where I go to the gym before the show. That would be incredible. So I would like <laughs> to work that out. I mean, that's a, that's, that is, that is just, I, I could fantasize about that. <laughs> well, I got it and you can't have it for now. 
I don't, I don't need your slot. Who, who, who can I pick off here? Is it Will Cow? <laughs> Good luck with that one. No, I'll tell I you know, what. We'll get into a conversation that, with Dave. That, that, that one is locked in. That one is locked in stone too. I think so. I think I think I got a prop. I think I'll have, just have to be the afternoon gym guy for a while. But yeah. it sounds like a nice life. I'm just saying. I'm a little jealous. A little envious, yeah. if you will. On the other hand, without you, you know, I take away something from my morning workout. So you know, we've got. Thank have you. This. You know, and and this is something that's so fun about being in broadcasting is that people when they come up to me and you know i'm not an overly public person but when people do recognize me and they come up they, they love to explain when they listen uh when i got the long commute i'm coming in from uh, connecticut into manhattan you know three days a week and i got to do that like uh, maybe it's that one maybe it's at the gym maybe it's you know on the way to pick up uh, someone else when they're doing their groceries. Or they, that's so cool. I love that stuff. And so if you ever see, I'm sure David feels the same way if you have that personal thing because it's quite it's quite a relationship you get to have with with a host. And I have it with so many hosts um, that I love the same way hosts have it with us. I mean, yeah. listeners have it with us. We're the Patriot family, my friend. All right. I also know you got a bunch of work to do because Breitbart do. News does not function without the man right here. Uh, at the top, making sure everybody's, well, you know, we, we were all a little lazy at times, but I know you're not. All right, you take care, and I'll, uh, I'll hear you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. in the gym. Thanks for, all the, thanks for all the time, David, and the support over the years. And if people go to Breitbart.com now, don't miss the tribute of Chewy Andrew uh, featuring none other than David himself. All right, thanks. Alex Marlowe, just uh, keeping the... Keeping the legacy alive and doing it in fine fashion every day, 6 to 9 a.m. Host of Breitbart News Daily. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.